you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the big sell-off in stocks to start this new year. And new at noon today, what billionaire investor Carl Icahn just told me about where he sees the markets this year. We get to the investment committee. They're by my side, as always. We'll do that in just a moment. However, the warning first from Mr. Icahn, who I spoke to just a few minutes ago, who told me, quote, In my day, I've seen a lot of wild rallies with a lot of mispriced stocks, but there is one thing they all have in common. Eventually, they hit a wall and go into a major painful correction. Nobody can predict when it will happen, but when it does, look out below. Another thing they have in common is it's always said it's different this time, but it never turns out to be the truth. Now, Mr. Icahn wouldn't go into his exact positioning with me when I asked, but he did tell me that they are pretty well hedged right now, so that gives you a bit of a clue, I think, as to where he sees the markets. And it's also fair to say that he's been concerned about the markets for quite some time. A number of times over the years when we've spoken about the state of the markets, he has put forth warnings before, but this is the very latest. We haven't heard from Mr. Icahn in an awfully long time about the state of the markets. So these are his comments today as we begin a new year. We kick those around now with the investment committee. Here with me, as I said, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal, Pete Najarian, and Bryn Talkington, the managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. Jim Labenthal, I'm going to come to you first because you're not positioning for what Mr. Icahn seems to be worried about. Well, yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking, obviously, you had the conversation with him. I didn't. But I wonder if he's talking about pockets of the stock market as opposed to the stock market overall. You know, I I have a heavy value tilt, Scott. And so if I look at industrials, if I look at materials and financials, I don't look at them and see them misvalued or, or wildly expensive. Now, if I look at software stocks, we've talked about those for a long time. If, if I look at some of the uh, renewable energy stocks, I'll include Tesla in that. I'll throw that out there. You know, I do think those are in bubble territory. And I wonder if that's what Mr. Icon is referring to. It, it, for me, what that means, though, is where I invest, I'm not liable to get out at this stage of the economic recovery, nor at this stage of what I suspect is the early stage of a bull market. But my point, I want those value stocks that I've been waiting to do well. I want them to do well, and I don't want to mess with them. But Jim, go ahead, Scott. My, my point is in part that just a week ago, 10 days, you bought Apple. Right. So you were going right into the heart of the the mega cap growth market. Nasdaq up last year, 43 and a half percent. That doesn't say that you are looking for any sort of major correction in the hottest part of the market. Now, Apple is not one of these enterprise software stocks. I'll give you that. However, it is part of a cohort of tech which had a massive 2020. And what that means, Scott, it's, it's a great point you're bringing up, is that Apple may not be the market leader this year that it was last year, 
But at this price level, about 28 and a half times forward year's earnings with low interest rates and the growth that they've got and the shares that they're buying back, it should be a nice positive returner this year. I'm, I'm not worried about Apple at all. Um, those other, you know, those software stocks and the renewable energy, look, take a look at QuantumScape just as an example of what I'm talking about. This is speculative bubble fervor. The stock has zero revenues and it's down 34% today, still has a $20 billion market cap. Was written up in the Wall Street Journal as having battery technology. I don't care how great its battery technology is. That is speculative mania. It's fervor. It's a tulip. And you know what? I'm sorry that QuantumScape is bursting right now, but that's not the sort of stock that I invest in, period. Oh, yeah. All, full stop. Bryn, I mean, okay, so how many QuantumScapes are out there that need to come back down to earth? And by the way, Carl Icahn may be, may be the most notable name uh, today to, to mention sort of concerns about where we are, but he's not the only. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson says the market is, quote, ripe for a drawdown. Further rotating rotation uh, is coming. We must acknowledge, he says, that the risk reward of the U.S. equity market has deteriorated materially and the market is ripe for a drawdown. So you could put Icon plus Wilson plus, you know, whoever. Will you tell me, Bryn, what do you think? Well, I think to, to Jim said it, I think, very well, is that there's pockets of froth. And I think that, you know, look at Zoom, for example. I mean, Zoom's down, I think, close to almost 50% from its high, you know, earlier this year where it touched almost 600. But I think names like Peloton, Zoom, there, there's so many of those companies that just had extraordinary year in 2020 for extraordinary reasons. But I do think the only thing new in the world is the history we don't know. And to Carl Icahn's point, if you go back to 2000, if you look at Amazon in 1998, Amazon was at $5. A year later, it was at 131. And then by 2001, it was back to $5. And so it did a full round trip in about two and a half years. Now, two, two decades later, we can all say, oh, well, that was a wonderful buying opportunity. But in this market, we, we tend to think in days, not decades. And so I think there's, there are clearly areas um, that could have that type of sell-off again. But ultimately, as you know, investors, that, that's what we get paid to do is you know, asset allocate and find the areas that we don't think are overvalued or just be settled in and ride that out. But I definitely think that you know, we could have um, a definitely a different year in 2021 than we had in 2020 in terms of what the big winners are, because those companies, even a Tesla, need to breathe. Pete, are we about to have a big reset? I mean, is that what we're sniffing out here, that the market is ripe for a pullback, as Mike Wilson says, that there are pockets of it, you know, that are that are overvalued or, or ahead of itself. Now, I'm paraphrasing off of of what Carl and I mm -hmm. spoke about uh, a few moments ago. Yeah. Again, I, I use his words, wild rallies with a lot of mispriced stocks. What is that? Right. If for 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 no better description, what is that code for? W what parts do you, of the market do you think he's specifically talking about or which ones would you say are too wild and too mispriced at this particular time? Sure. And I think that uh, Jim hit on it uh, right away. We're, some of the software names, Scott, I mean, obviously the moves that we've seen to the upside in some of those names, absolutely extraordinary. And, and I think it's not just those names. There are other names as well. But when you look across at what has really exploded, and, and then secondly, when you take a look at where the fundamentals are on some of these companies, I, I mean, we're, we're not even rating them off of PE because there is no E. 
So we're, we're looking at a lot of different names that have absolutely rocketed to the upside. Bryn just talked about Zoom, which was 600, give or take, before it's made this huge pullback that it's made. But there's a lot of different names out there that have not really made much of a pullback off of these highs. And I think, yeah, there's some frothiness there. There's no doubt about it. And we'll see some of those pull back. I think we've all been talking about this. We've heard from Tony Dwyer. We've heard from Mike Wilson, a lot of different guys, Tom Lee to expect some sort of pullback. And, and I think that would be the healthy thing because let's take a look at this run that we've had since November, November, December, an extraordinary run to the upside. We even finished out the week with a nice run last, uh, last Thursday to the upside as well. So we've had nothing but what it seems to be all-time highs or new highs across different stocks as well as these indexes themselves. So there's no doubt about it. There's some frothiness in certain pockets. That doesn't mean that everything, and I think Jim touched on on this as well. It's why I still continue to like the material space, for instance, and, and even some parts, believe it or not, of energy, where I think that when those names got beat, they definitely got beat. But I, I think that there is an opportunity for some of those names to possibly still reach to the upside. And absolutely, I love the here, financials as well, because he, they made a great run, but I think they have plenty of room still in the front of them, Scott. Here, Joe, is, is, is part yeah. of the problem. Right? It's very easy to look at the Zoom-like stocks, maybe not Zoom identically, but the Zoom-like stocks that have had, you know, three, four, five hundred, if in some cases even more, percentage gains of the year and say, aha, that is the obvious part of the market that is mispriced, to use Icon's words. However, if you look at small caps, right, they've had a massive run, okay? Cyclicals have had a massive run. Now you start to get into more broad parts of the market. Now you, in a sense, are widening the, the breadth band of worry, so to speak. And that's what Mike Wilson is talking about. He says, every new cycle brings change and new leadership in the stock market. This time's no different. And since the March lows, it's clear small caps and cyclicals have led. Measuring performance on a year-to-date basis makes this new leadership less clear and confusing However, with the turning of the calendar, we think it will become undeniable and force further rotation, especially as such stocks, again, small caps and cyclicals, enter the top quintile of the 12-month price momentum bucket and attractive passive flows. So do we need to worry about more than just some of the most obvious stocks? Well, I think the money flow effect is what you're defining. And, and what I mean by that is there are parts of the market, which we have talked about in the past week, the hyper growth stocks. Jim introduced the name QuantumScape. I didn't even know what QuantumScape was until a mutual <laughs> friend of ours told me how much money he had made in QuantumScape last week. So that pocket of the market, I think on the show we've done a good job of telling the viewers, hey, there's the opportunity for a significant correction and a potential peak there. I do believe that as that unfolds, there will be other areas within the market, small caps, value, some of the large cap quality names that will be dragged down as well. But underneath that is the support that you have from the Federal Reserve. And Scott, this is what happens in an environment where you have so much money, so much liquidity, $95 trillion worth of it globally that is chasing yield. You're going to have parts of the market where you're going to see ridiculous valuations, and that's parts? extrapolating to a peak. And, and maybe, maybe what's happening is the parts may, of the is, is the is it is it that discerning 
though, Joe, or does the Fed, by virtue of what it's doing, inflate the entire bubble? It's just some bubbles are bigger than others, but the whole thing is a bit of a bubble because of all of the money that's sloshing around in the system. It can't be that discriminating. Great, great, great point. It inflates all assets and creates specific bubbles. I don't think it's creating a bubble in a universal capacity for risk assets. I also think we have to give consideration to what we're seeing today and understand there's a very big event risk that's ahead of us yes. here in the next 24 to 36 hours with the election in Georgia. And certainly some of the actions of this weekend suggest that what the previous outcome we thought was going to be where you had gridlock, which was great for the market. I'm not so sure about that right now. I'm wondering if we should have been doing some selling at the end of 2020 because we might be looking at a capital gains tax that now is going to go higher. Joe, so I, couldn't I think get, the event risk. I couldn't get many, very many people to to want to be negative on the market. You, you have the, the yin and the yang of sort of what is and what will be. That's what's guiding everybody. What is is a potentially, it's certainly in pockets, overinflated stocks. And the will be is the recovery in the economy and the vaccine. And there was so much optimism about the what will be. It's been hard for people to focus on right. the what is. You have the runoff elections tomorrow in Georgia, which John Stoltzfus of Oppenheimer says a Dem sweep could cause a 6 to 10 percent correction on its face. So there are two. It's, that's I, nothing. If I agree right. with that. Sorry, that's nothing. Who's I, to say that it's just 6 yeah, to 10? I mean, well, Jimmy, because, can't because say it's, it's nothing. one sentence, the Fed. The Fed. The Fed. Look, Joe, I think you're more of a trader than I am. You know I respect you for that, but you know I'm a long-term investor. So let me give an example. And, Scott, you brought this up last week. Cleveland Cliffs. You said, hey, wait a second, Jimmy. It's up 125% in six months. Yes, but you know what? It's up 20% in four years. So if I'm in Cleveland Cliffs and I think that the right price for this is $20, not $15, I'm not going to play around trying to time a correction, maybe get out at 14 and miss it on the way up to 20 because I'm because I'm nervous about it going down to 12. From where we are today to Wait, where Jim, we are Jim, a year from is, now, who I don't care if it's Cleveland Cliffs. But Jim, well, no I one think, suggests I think it's hold on. It in the well, hold on, hold I, on, hold on. Okay, Joe, <laughs> go ahead. No one is suggesting that type of strategy. I am not saying that your timing the potential impact of this event risk. But let's be realistic. It's present. And it's more present today on Monday, January 4th than it was one week ago. So you have to be, you can't put your head in the sand and think that it doesn't exist. I'm not telling you that there's a, the right strategy. I agree with you. There's a ton of liquidity that suggests being invested in the market. But come on, let's be realistic about what presents itself as a potential headwind, and tomorrow is certainly one. So on that, on that note, Bryn, you know, look, w what happens if the, the Democrats take the Senate? What happens to the stock market? Because the market hasn't seemed to be ready for that. Now, maybe it's coming around to it today, and that's part of the reason that you've got the Dow down about 700 points. I, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the stew that's causing a sell-off in stocks today. But what happens if that happens? 
Well, you'd first have a, a recalibration because I think that all along, I mean, we've been concerned about this the whole time. And so I think you can never expect to know how the voters will vote. And so we hope that it goes to the Republican senators, but we don't know that. And I think the market will recalibrate if that doesn't occur and there'll be different winners and losers. Um, I don't think just from what I've read that a higher capital gains tax is on the horizon for 2021 because there's so many other things that are more important. But I think that to, to Joe's point, there's definitely event risk over the next over the next day or so. And it could take over the next couple of days to figure that out. But I will say going back to bubbles and what's expensive, ultimately what we see is the most expensive asset class out there are bonds. And so when it goes back to stocks being expensive, well, relative to what? And we would say relative to bonds, because what I do know is I can buy a 10-year treasury yielding, what, 90 basis points with a duration risk of nine. And if interest rates go up 1%, I'm down about 8% versus buying good companies, whether they go down 15 or 20% doesn't really matter because I know five years from now, three years from now, heck, two years from now, those are going to outperform bonds pretty easily. So I think you have to go back stocks relative to what bonds are to me where what's really expensive and where the potential bubbles are. Okay. I mean, it's a good point. Look, you, you speak of Tom Lee's language a little bit, Bryn, because Pete, you know, Tom Lee is saying today since 2009 of the 3.1 trillion retail inflows into financial assets, 94% went into bonds. He's, he says, what equity bubble, right? He's sort of making the same point right. that, that Bryn's come into that you've got so much money has flown into bonds. Maybe that's, that's the bubble that people have been talking about for years and years and years and years. There's no bubble in the equity market. I don't know that I would say there's no bubble in the equity market, but like we were talking about, I think there are certain areas of the market that absolutely are a bubble, but then there are other areas where I think, to Jim's point, when he brought up, uh, for instance, the Cliffs uh, uh, analogy, I, I would agree with him. Uh, that's why I like certain areas of the market, and I think other areas I've, I've definitely tiptoed away from because I just see there is some frothiness in some of those different software areas that have been rocketing to the upside, had great moves, and a lot of those stay-at-home stocks that had incredible moves. But you start to look at valuations, and there is none. Um, that, that's a bit of a problem. But that, that being said, I think there are just individual pockets of that, Scott. I think there are certainly full sectors that I think have plenty of upside. So uh, I think we just have to position properly as we, as we move around. And obviously, a day like today, when you get this kind of a pullback, is it the start of something bigger? It sure could be. But this is one of those where you start looking around and say, OK, what's getting sold that I like? What's a quality name that I've been hesitant on that we're starting to see get hit to the downside in a significant way? And maybe that doesn't mean it's necessarily just today, but maybe it's something that you monitor over the next three, four, five, six trading days, especially like Joe was saying, we're talking about a very significant event that's going to be hitting in the next 24, 46 hours, whatever it might be. So that's something that I think we're all keeping a very close eye on. And if we get a continuation, that's going to create something of an opportunity. Take a look at what's going on with the VIX today. We stayed the entire month of December between 20 and 25. We're no longer in 25. We've had a pretty big rocket ship to the upside up into the 27s, 28s. So I, it just shows you how rapid this market can move and the, and the velocity that we can see at times. Yeah. Do we, um, we have Jonathan Krinsky? Is he on the line? Let's bring Jonathan Krinsky. And we have frequent guest on this program, one of the certainly uh, most respected uh, strategist, uh, technical strategist on the street from Baycrest. He's the chief market technician. All right, Mr. Krinsky, Happy New Year, first and foremost. Happy New Year, Scott. Give us your view. Um, on, I was going to talk to you about this momentum play is what the crux of your, your note over the weekend was about. 
But here we are in the midst of a sizable sell-off. What's it about? Yeah, so I agree with a lot of what's been said to, on your, to some of your prior um, panelists. There are very select pockets of the market that are what we would consider parabolic. Um, but let's just talk about momentum overall. Last year was the best year for momentum investing since 2000. So there's lots of different indices, but broadly speaking, mo- momentum as a strategy is up roughly 60% on the year. Um, it beat the S&P by about 40%, and it's now 32% above its 200-day moving average. So all of these metrics are the most extreme we've seen since 2000. Um, and really last year there, there was lots and lots of times where we thought, We'd get this mean reversion. Um, you can call it stay-at-home versus reopen, cyclicals versus growth, whatever you want to call it. That's that's the trade that was trying to work, and it just never really seemed to get any any footing. Um, so coming into this year, we think that momentum is at an extreme, and we think that we're we're at a point where um, just buying price momentum is no longer going to be rewarded like it was last year. Now the question as to whether this <clears throat> affects the overall market is you actually see the rotation into some of the, um, the more cyclical areas of the market. And today we're not seeing that. Um, obviously, we're seeing broad-based weakness today. Uh, that's not our base case for the rest of the year, but I think it is a concern when you look at the backdrop of positioning and sentiment, which remains very complacent. So, you know, our call is basically uh, some of the most extreme Areas of the market have gone parabolic. Those are due to come back. You've talked about some of those names. Um, you know, the, a lot of the EV names, some of the some of the SPACs, uh, you know, some of the super high growth software names. Those are the areas we think are most at risk. We don't think it's a, it's an overall market blow off at this point. But again, we have to be mindful. Um, of that of that sentiment backdrop that remains very complacent. It's so timely, um, Bryn, because the MTUM. MTUM, the Momentum ETF play, is your highest, one of your highest conviction trades. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've been in that. We've been in MTUM for, for a couple of years. And, you know, we are big fans of factor-based ETF. I think it really depends on how you define momentum. And so MTUM is actually MSCI's USA Momentum Index. And what they do, because they do have a volatility screen, they look at companies that have positive price momentum on a 6 and 12-month basis, but also look at the volatility of those stocks and run that screen. Then they rebalance in March and November. And so what I really like about the strategy is, let's say, financials continue to outperform or industrials or you get a big shift. Sure, you can have, you know, some of the companies in there do poorly as the momentum shifts, but it will pick it up on the rebalance. And so I do think it goes back to how do you define the momentum? I know with Joe's ETF, he has a different definition. And so I think these factor-based ETFs help discern some of that and do that heavy lifting. But I think, you know, Apple, PayPal are some of the hot, top holdings. And I definitely think those are going to be strong, long-term secular winners. So I would, wouldn't even think about selling that. You know, Jonathan Krinsky, lastly, before I let you go, you know, we're, we're facing this, what we feel like is event risk now and technicals don't account for event risk because you never sort of know which way a specific event is going to go until until it happens it just so happens that the market may find itself more vulnerable today um, than otherwise might be the case ahead of what could be a very significant events uh, an event and maybe a shock to some depending on the outcome yeah i mean when you're talking about events um, you know, known unknowns, I guess we would call it. 
Um, you never know how the market's going to react. I think it's a, fu- a lot of it is a function of uh, the context and how we're how the markets were positioned coming in. Again, we, we came into the end of the year with momentum at a high, um, speculation at a high. We saw it with the SPACs. We saw it with the IPOs. We've even seen it spill into the crypto, into the crypto market. So the setup, regardless of the event, was potentially for some unwind of that speculation. Um, you know, we don't know how this will play out. But again, and one last point regarding the momentum ETF, we would agree that a lot of the names in there are not typical of what we're talking about. Um, some of the FANG stocks really have gone sideways for three to four months. I think if you go back three or four months ago, they were certainly at the top of the momentum list, and, and we had some concerns at that point when we were on your show um, about some of those names. But they've really gone sideways for three to four months. If they cannot break out from the sideways range in the next couple of weeks or months, that would be a concern. But um, I think I think a lot of the points you've made, are, we agree with it. It's really pockets of the market at this point. Let's see how it evolves, and let's see if we get a rotation. If we don't get that rotation, then we have some bigger concerns to talk about um, as we head into the new year. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we look forward to speaking with you often this year. Jonathan Krinsky, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again soon. Pete, let's talk about some of the things you're doing in the market. Um, now, look. Okay. The way that you trade is different from from many other people. Um, I would say, OK, yeah. what does your buying of snap <laughs> calls suggest about, you know, the way that you see momentum names or growth names mm-hmm. like snap? But it also could just be based on very based on very short term paper in the options market. So why, why don't you explain sort of some of the moves right. that you've made and what what they mean in the bigger picture, if anything? Yeah, and I think uh, the the combination is I'm looking, Scott, like everybody, you're looking at the big picture, but within that big picture, you're looking at at all the different option activity like you're talking about there. So like a name like Snap, I've been in Snap, I've been in the calls, I've been in the stock, I was no longer in either. And I, and I was looking for an opportunity to get back into this name because I think there are certain areas of the marketplace that th- there's something outside of this whole vaccine and everybody's shut in and, and whatever, uh, however you want to frame it. So I think there are some names that just make some sense. I've been a little bit more active of late, Scott, adding more and more to the bank sector. I've been a lot more active adding things to um, adding positions in the material space as well as I've talked about, but I've taken off some of these names as well. I'll give you a great example. I had three separate positions on in a Freeport McMoran. I had three separate positions on in Valet. I took off two from each, and your answer would, your, your question probably would be, what, did you suddenly get bearish? And the answer is no, I have discipline. Certain expiration cycles cause me to make a decision that I have to make, and, and hopefully making the right decision on some of those names, and yet I still want to be long. So. Yeah, you're right. It's a different style of trade. It is actually trading, and 90% of what I do, and we talk about here with you guys at the Halftime Report, that is trading. But Mm -hmm. I've got some long-term positions as well. Look at how long I've been in Bank of America, for instance, or Lululemon, or Apple. I mean, there's some really long-term plays that I continue to like, and I have not made a lot of adjustment to those long-terms because I like the the setup, and I like the foundation of those trades. Hey, Pete, sorry to interrupt you. Hang on for two seconds. Let me jump to Sue Herrera, who has breaking news, and I'll come back to you. Hi, Sue. Thank you very much, Scott. Indeed, I do. CNBC's Houston has exclusively broken this story. You might recall the company Haven that was formed from Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan. They were designed or basically trying to disrupt the U.S. healthcare industry. Well, that venture is disbanding after just three years. 
And if, if you recall, the healthcare stock sold off when this particular news was announced a couple of years ago. We'll see whether or not we get a bounce. Basically, Haven uh, has made good progress, they are saying, in, in exploring a wide range of healthcare solutions as well as plotting new ways to make primary care easier to access. However, this venture is now disbanding, and the 57 employees, which are Boston-based, will be distributed through either J.P. Morgan, Amazon or Berkshire Hathaway. They will continue to collaborate on an informal basis. But Scott, I think you probably remember this mm. was going to be the big disruptor for mm -hmm. healthcare, health insurance. And we did see those stocks sell off when that uh, was announced. And now they are disbanding after three years. The big fanfare with Buffett, Bezos and, and Jamie Dimon. Of course, I remember that day well. Sue, thank you very much. You got it. All right. Sue Herrera. Uh, there. All right, Pete, back to you. Finish your thought and forgive me for interrupting you, but wanted to get to that important news again, broken by our own Hugh Sun. You should check that out on dot com. Yeah, absolutely. No problem at all, Scott. That's very important. And I'm glad we went to it. You know, the, the reality is, Scott, that we are continuing to see. And last week we talked about TJX. It made another move to the upside. Today, obviously, it's a move to the downside. We're seeing even more as the stock has been sold off in terms of uh, some of that buying that we are seeing in there. So people taking advantage of the opportunity, I think, on some sell offs. That's what this market has been like. And the volume, Scott, and I bring it up every time I'm on with you now, because when you look at what the volumes were like this past year in the derivatives world and what we're seeing right now, it is the place to be. And it is where we are seeing unbelievable record numbers day after day after day after day. It's been in extraordinary, but that is trading. 90% of what you and I talk about on a daily basis is fairly short term. That never used to be the case. We used to see options that were going out three, six, nine months out. We are seeing less and less of that in a lot of very short term for the right reasons. This is a headline market. And every single day, and Joe brought up the, the elections and, and, and that, that side of it, the vaccine side of it, the stimulus side of it, there are different headlines every single day that can move the markets around in a very, very uh, unbelievably fast fashion. And that's why I think it's, it's such a great trading environment. Yeah, let me get to a move by Bryn, too, before we move on and take our first break. Uh, you bought the small cap value ETF, Bryn. Uh, which is interesting considering what Mike Wilson is thinking about what small caps could do, which have led the Russell obviously with a huge run and now some concern that it in and of itself is overextended. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, we, we had trimmed our position in ARK, ARKK, because it had done just so extraordinary up over 170 percent last year. And we wanted to have more exposure to the economy. Um, a lot of ETFs on the small cap side are market cap weighted. And on the value side, just look at price to book. And so we found this, this ETF run by BlackRock, which they partnered with Russell. It's an equal weighted small cap value ETF that focuses on companies with positive net income, positive cash flow, you know, really high quality factors. And we think as the economy recovers, we needed to have some exposure to those small cap value names. The PE of the companies are 13. And so it really balances well with our momentum and our QQQs in our portfolio to have exposures that we just didn't have it have before. I got you. Um, all right. I'm glad you uh, you told us about that. Uh, the interesting thing is, you know, amid all of this talk uh, at the top of the show about what Carl Icahn told me about his view on the stock market, there was other Icahn involved news today that we wanted to discuss. And that was selling uh, more than half of his position now uh, in Herbalife. So making a, a big step, if you will, fully out the door uh, of that drama that's really taken place for for the last hard to believe 
eight years, the memorable brawl, of course, on this network between Carl Icahn and Bill Ackman. So Icahn uh, takes his uh, position down to 6% from 16. He gives up the five board seats. Uh, he told me about that. I think our work's done there. We generated over a billion dollars in the investment, said he still holds a fair amount of stock, but there's really no activism left to do, which is, as you know, uh, icons bread and butter. He goes on to say, I think what was missed in the fight by the naysayers is that Herbalife has several very legitimate products that people are buying. He mentioned a protein shake in particular uh, with a lot of brand loyalty. Say what you want, Mr. Icon told me. Herbalife has very popular products, and as long as those products stay popular, then the company should prosper. So maybe not fully closing the book on that story, uh, but only a few pages may be left in that saga. All right, we will take a quick break. We'll come back. There are a number of big calls on the street involving Dow components. We'll talk about those. Speaking of the Dow, it's the worst first day of trade since 1932 for the Dow. That's what we're working on right now. You've got four uh, in the green right now. Everything else is in the red. Dow's off its lows, still down 643. We're back after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. March Madness will take place in Indiana. The NCAA says it will hold the entire men's basketball tournament in that state, with most games taking place in Indianapolis. Last year, the number of air travelers in the U.S. fell by 500 million people. That's a 61 percent decline from 2019. Separately, the TSA also saying that air travel on Sunday rose to its highest level since mid-March, with over 1.3 million people going through its checkpoints. In Florida's Broward County, three drive through vaccination sites have joined drive-up testing locations. The shots are available to people aged 65 and over. However, appointments are required and the county's vaccination website has suffered intermittent outages. And Britain is reporting nearly 59,000 new COVID-19 cases today. That's an all-time high. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is expected to announce new and tougher restrictions to slow the spread of the coronavirus a bit later today. And when that comes out, we will bring it to you. Scott, back to you. All right. Appreciate it, Sue. Good to see you again. All right, gang, let's do this uh, because, uh, you know, amidst this first trading day of the new year, I wanted to get some picks from you uh, all for, for our viewers some of the stocks you think are going to work the best, you can have an explanation as well, uh, please. Joe, why don't you go first? couple, two stocks or so that you think are going to do well this year and why? Sure. Uh, so I've been talking quite a bit about CGen, which is formerly Seattle Genetics. It was up over 100% in 2019, 50% in 2020. I still think in 2021 it's got another 40 to 50%. The pandemic has introduced this concept of utilizing monoclonal antibodies, and now we're going to use that for cancer and immunotherapy. They've got a partnership with Merck. It's a name I'm staying in. Goldman Sachs is another name. I've talked quite a lot about Goldman Sachs. I'm going to stay with that position as it approaches its previous all-time high at 275. I think David Solomon has positioned 
the, the company properly for a highly volatile environment and for an environment where financials might be able to work well. And just real quick, mm-hmm. emerging market debt, Scott, and that's a play on a lower dollar and emerging market currencies strengthening dollar-denominated debt is going to benefit from that. EMB is the ETF that I own. Yeah, Goldman upgraded today to overweight over at Barclays. Price target goes to 362 from 270. So getting some love uh, elsewhere as well as Goldman Sachs today. All right, Jimmy, what about you? Jim Labenthal. Well, uh, thanks, Scotty. Um, listen, it's uh, kind of hackneyed to say barbell, but that's what I'm doing here. You want two picks. Qualcomm is the growth name. I think this one's pretty easy. It's in a litigation sweet spot. There's nothing going on. Apple's not suing them. China's not suing them. 5G is rolling out, and their handset predictions for next year are pretty gargantuan, like a 60% increase in the number of handsets sold. So they should be making money hand over fist, paying down debt, increasing dividend. That's, that's an easy one. GM, you know, listen, I've talked about this for a while. This is where it's supposed to shine, and I really need to see what the fourth quarter earnings were to decide if they're actually performing or not. But this is where early economic expansion, not just cars, but pickup trucks, that's where they make their money. That's where they should be being sold. And look, if they ever spin out the cruise division, this thing could be at least 50% higher. All right. Good stuff there. Thank you. Bryn, how about you? PayPal and Viper Energy. So, you know, PayPal to me is just so fascinating you know, clearly Bitcoin and crypto are out of the barn. And, you know, last quarter overnight, PayPal created a huge new revenue stream when they allowed the users of PayPal, the over 330 million monthly active users, to buy, you know, a a plethora of cryptocurrencies. And just to give that some perspective is Square via Cash App has 30 million monthly active users. And last quarter, they did about one and a half billion in revenues off of Bitcoin. So PayPal has 10 times the monthly active users, and really they've been the ax in the stock. And so I think this new revenue stream will treat PayPal shareholders well. And then as a juxtaposition, we'll say Viper Energy. And I don't think that people can appreciate how big of a reduction in drilling happened this year. And that does not turn on on a dime. And I think that as the global market recovers, we will use a lot of oil and a company like Viper Energy, which owns land, leases them back to producers, and takes a, a skim off the top of, of, of the oil cost, will do very well. And it's an, it's an unloved sector, but I think that as oil and, and the global economy improves, um, Viper Energy will be a really good winner next year, you gotta or this rep- year. You've got to represent your peeps down in Houston. I totally, I totally get it. I am not at right. all surprised to see two energy names on this. Got to represent. List. It was one energy name. Yeah, it was do. one energy right, name. One energy name. One energy. One, one energy. All right. Pete, lastly. Yeah, I'm just going to give you two quickies. I'm going to give you Freeport MacMoran because of the fact that when you look at this company and what they've already done with, with the, we don't talk enough about where copper has moved from. And the fact that it's up at 350 and you're taking it out of the ground for call it $2, this is a company that I think still has plenty of room to the upside. I think the demand is going to be up there. So despite the fact that it's moved all the way up to 27 and it was having a great day, um, I still think this on the longer term still has plenty of different upside as well. So on top of that, 
I'm looking at the financials. Joe's play with Goldman Sachs, I, I, I high, hold that in high regard. I think that stock's going higher as well. I think Morgan Stanley, which has already made an incredible move, is another one of these names that I'm looking for it on the pullback, Scott, because I do expect a pullback. When we get it and I see Morgan Stanley pull back at least something, because this is a stock that has been absolutely on fire, done a great job with acquisitions. The balance sheet is phenomenal. I think Morgan Stanley will continue to perform, but it's probably not going to uh, be one of those that just holds on even if we see a sell-off. We see a sell-off. I think that'll be an opportunity to re-enter into Morgan Stanley. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, that Goldman call among yeah. many on the street today, Rahel Solomon following those on some Dow stocks for us. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Happy New Year to you. So let's start with Coke. Getting downgraded to sector perform from outperform at RBC. Target here stays at 55 bucks. Analysts see the stock properly valued and see upward EPS revision in the near future as unlikely. Coke, Scott, is just 13% off its October highs. You can see it's down about 5% right now. And if you want a chicken sandwich to go with that Coke, well, McDonald's has a few new options. They are debuting three crispy chicken sandwiches in February. Scott, that's a reflection of a growing preference toward chicken and plant-based meals, which City points out as it initiates coverage of McDonald's with a neutral rating. Target is $230 a share. Firm says that guest growth is already priced in, and they do also have concerns about slower recovery abroad. And finally, Barrett is adding Boeing to its fresh pick list, noting that Boeing recorded its highest monthly aircraft delivery total for 2020 in December. This, as TSA notes, that air travel hit its highest level of the pandemic over the holiday weekend as 1.2 million people passed through security checkpoints on Saturday. Analyst Scott also mentioned that they're encouraged by the pace of activity with the 737 MAX. You can see shares are down also about 5%, Scott. All right. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. Coming up, the top ETF trends for 2021 you need to know about. We'll do that next on The Half. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Hello, all, and welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Bitcoin hit a record high over the weekend. Jan Van Eck has filed for a Bitcoin ETF again. He did that last week after several attempts over the last few years. He joins us again, along with Dave Nautic from ETF Trends. Jan, you just filed for that Bitcoin ETF again. There's a new SEC chairman that's going to happen later this year, this time around. What do you think the chances are the SEC will finally approve that Bitcoin ETF? Well, uh, hope springs eternal, Bob. Happy New Year. Uh, I think basically 
We hope that the changes in the commissioner level might change the SEC's attitude, but they also gave some guidance a couple of weeks ago on how broker dealers can custody Bitcoin safely. So hopefully there's been, you know, there a reflection of what's happening in the world, which is an increasing acceptance of Bitcoin everywhere. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I, I see the fact that there's a new SEC chairman coming in. We don't know who that will be yet. We have an acting chairman. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of resistance to that coming around here. But you've been very, very indefatigable uh, in your attempts to pull that off. And I, I, I laud you for it. Dave, I got to ask about the markets right now. I see enormous yeah. volume. I mean, 10 times normal volume in some of these ETFs, growth and value. Uh, everything's down 2%. This seems like a broad takedown of the market today. Can you give us your take on what you think is going on? Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely a classic risk-off trading day. We have the uncertainty around the elections. We obviously have very high valuations folks are considering. We're coming into the new year. People are positioning. They don't want to be in that risk. That's why you see you know, the S&P 500 down 2% and things like gold up 2%. That's almost the definition of a risk-off trade today. Yeah. Okay, guys, thank you. More on Bitcoin ETFs. ETF Edge is going to continue at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be looking at the year ahead in ETF investing. We'll be talking about ESG, thematic investing, and active management in ETFs. That's etfedge.cnbc.com. Halftime. Right back after this. We're back. It's time for unusual activity. Pete, what do you have for us today? All right, I'm going to start with a chip. It's Taiwan Semiconductor, TSM. And this one's interesting, Scott, because actually it's pulled back, so you're going to get a better opportunity if you find this one to be interesting. The Jan 125 calls, 10,000 of those were bought today for about 90 cents. As I say, the stock's pulled back about $3 from that level, so those options will be a little bit cheaper than that now. And I, and I like the fact that they rolled into them. Secondly, I've got Summit Materials. Now, building materials, this is exactly what I've been talking about time and time again. This one was hitting... The January 22 and a half calls for about 50 cents. Large buyer of those as well, Scott, and with the stock trading about where it is right now. So for about 50 cents, they bought 5,000 of these calls. So pretty aggressive on both parts. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate that. We have more trades ahead on the half. Yep. We're back Thanks, man. in just two minutes. Okay, it's time for the futures outlook. Watching the 10-year Treasury yield as stocks take a big tumble today. Scott Nations joins us now with that trade. So we got, you know, close to 1% towards the end of last year. Now what? Uh, now stocks are in charge even of the bond market, Scott. And I wouldn't want to get in the way of this down, going down uh, in the equity world. But we did get some fundamental news as far as fixed income is concerned. Charles Evans, president of the of the Chicago Fed, and he's going to be a voting member of the FOMC this coming cycle. He says that the Fed should be shooting for 2.5% inflation. So I don't know why anybody would think that that's good news for fixed income. I'd be a seller because we're already negative real returns. I'd be a seller of the March contract in the 10-year. You can see that right there, Scott. 138.08, only after, only after the equity market settles down would I want to be short bonds. Once I'm short uh, 137 even would be my target. My stop would be 138.24. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, Scotty. Happy New Year to you. Yep. We will see you again soon. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades on the other side. Quick final trade from everybody. Bryn. Gold. Farmer Jim. Boeing. Boeing. All right. Pete. Fortuna Silver. 
Joey. Tip. All right. That does it for us. First trading day of 2021. Off with a bit of a whimper. That does it for us. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.